The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. I don't care. <laughs> Imagine when you said it, you meant it. I mean, think about the last time you said it. Probably somebody was trying to tell you something or communicate something, and you, you were trying to say, I really don't care. Now, most of the time when we say that, we don't really mean it, meaning the situation is actually making us upset or frustrated or annoyed, and saying I don't care is a coping mechanism to try to tell ourselves and others, I don't want to get any more emotionally attached to this. But the truth is we do care. That's why we're saying it. But imagine you didn't care. Imagine when you said, I don't care, you actually really meant it. And sometimes we say it this way. We go, I couldn't care less. Meaning I care so little that you couldn't extract, you couldn't make me care any less about this situation. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I have plenty of moments when I said, I couldn't care less. Or I don't care. In my home, especially when the girls were younger, um, sometimes I would say that and I regret that, but uh, a phrase I would use is, we are low drama in our home. Now, some of you dads, you're gonna borrow that and start using that. I don't know if that's what you should say, but what I meant was, hey, we are low drama. I don't care about you exaggerating your emotions, your energy, and your passions towards something that shouldn't matter as much as you're making it matter, right? So I'm like, hey, I don't care. Would you calm down? Stop being so dramatic. Okay, so I would just say, hey, we're low drama. And sometimes I can get focused on where I'm going or what I'm trying to accomplish that I don't really care sometimes about people in the process. And, and so, you know, when they, we're, dry, we're on a long road trip, we're trying to get somewhere, and one of them's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm like, I don't care, we're trying to get there. Now, I'll pull over right on the side of the road, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, what would happen if we all just didn't care? I wanna introduce you to uh, Leah Guterman. Leah Guterman had four siblings. Her parents were two of the 1,200 individuals rescued from the concentration camps by Oskar Schindler. This one couple who had Leah Guterman and four other children, uh, those five children together had a combined 36 children. So, this couple had 36 grandchildren. Those 36 grandchildren had somewhere between 120 and 150 of this couple's great-grandchildren. They said they stopped counting after 120 because there's too many to keep track of. Think about it. What if Oscar Schindler didn't care? Just, one, just two of the people he rescued of the 1,200 had a, had a generational impact. And now that, by the way, that was probably close to 30 years ago. So you think about the impact. They said around the time of the making of the movie Schindler's List, um, the 1,200 had become well over 6,000. Now fast forward uh, 25, 30 years later, the impact of one man and what if he didn't care? Let me show you a different, another story. Drana. Drana, uh, a mom living in a, 
a, a nation in poverty. She had five children. Two of them died at a very young age. So she, she was raising her three kids, her and her husband. And then tragically, her husband died when her youngest daughter, Agnes, was nine. She had a lot to take care of. She had a lot of issues in her own life that she could have focused on. But where in her city, there was a tremendous amount of people that were destitute. And so nearly every day, she would invite people off the street to come into her home and eat with her and her three children. Her daughter, Agnes, uh, grew up seeing this and began to have a deep compassion for the poor. So much so that she saw how her mother was motivated by her faith, that Agnes became motivated by her faith. Uh, Agnes, uh, her, her name is, uh, her last name was like Boyagu or Boyagiu. Um, she, she joins, uh, she becomes a nun. She joins a movement, gets located in India. She starts what becomes known as the Missionaries of Charity. Her, we know her as Mother Teresa, who started uh, at the time of her death over 500 different missions works. It included uh, counseling centers, several orphanages, feeding centers, housing projects, um, projects to, to re, re, react to and respond to and meet the needs of people suffering with HIV and AIDS, uh, hospitals, other missions in 139 countries, impacting millions of lives. To this day, there are um, Christian and Catholic orders all across the world specifically because of Mother Teresa's efforts. What if Drena, her mother, just didn't, just didn't care. Said, I got enough to worry about in my own family and my own kids. And she just didn't do what she did. And imagine the global impact today if Drana didn't care. What if Martin Luther King Jr. didn't care? What if Harriet Tubman didn't care? You could go down a long list of people who had incredible impact throughout history. What if the people that impacted them didn't care? Didn't provide the example or the encouragement or the education? See, we, we live in a culture where it's easy to check out. You get so much bad news at you that you can just start to say, I, I don't care. But what about the needs right in front of us? What about the people right in front of us? What if we just got consumed with ourselves and we didn't care? What if our issues and our challenges were such a big deal that they required the bulk of our focus and we didn't have the energy or the strength like Drena could have to just not worry about anybody else because we have to worry about ourselves? That was actually the state of the Thessalonian church. The apostle Paul had started this church and... Um, and when he got there, the church quickly grew up. It's in an important city in the Roman Empire. They embraced the message of Jesus. But because of Paul's influence and the growing church, it became a threat both to the religious leaders and the political leaders since they began to come against the church. They had to get Paul out of the city. 
not long after he leaves, he's deeply moved with concern for the church. And so he begins to write them letters. The first letter he writes from the city of Corinth, and then he writes a second letter. And in it, he's challenging them because he's concerned about how these threats against the church are changing how they're living and behaving. Basically, here's what they were doing. They, They believed in Jesus, but because it was so dangerous to believe in Jesus and gather as the church, they went underground. And then when they were interacting with everybody else in the community, it was like you didn't even know. They took their faith underground and their compassion went quiet. In essence, they lived their lives waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for God to rescue them from their circumstances, and they just waited and stayed quiet and basically didn't care about the world that was burning around them. And so the Apostle Paul, in his letter that he writes to the church, he says this. Let me read you a passage. This is toward the end. Actually, it's in the very final instructions he's giving in his first letter, chapter 5, starting in verse 14, where he says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And then interestingly, very shortly into his next letter, which is not a very long letter, it's broken into three chapters, but the truth is it's like two pages in the Bible. Uh, he, he writes this uh, as he's challenging them the second time. Chapter three, verse six, he goes, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive does not live according to the teachings you received from us. He goes, there's there's this temptation to isolate and insulate yourselves from the needs, the problems, and the pain around you. And as a result, you become idle. When, When you could be productively helping, you focus more on yourself and your needs rather than caring for others. But he offers another way, a a different way, a better way. And so we jump back to the first letter. I'm going to go to chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where Paul is offering a a different way. He says this, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of, of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Apostle Paul is saying, you you could not care. Like, what if you didn't do what you're supposed to do? What if people who believe in God didn't care? What if the church just didn't care and didn't get involved and didn't worry about anyone around them? Because you could do that, but that's not how we live. No, we, we came to you like a, a nursing mom caring for a baby. We gave our lives to you. We gave you good news and we lived a good life in front of you. And so he, he basically is going like this. What if, what if you could be a light to those blinded in darkness? What if you could be the response of strength to those suffering in weakness? What if you could leverage any power you have to lift up those suffering under injustice? What if you could 
kneel down to lift up those who are hurting and you could stand strong against those who are uh, bringing oppression against those who are weak and marginalized. He goes, like, what if you actually did care? What would that look like? And so there's a, there's a key takeaway from this for you and I, who we don't, we don't just stay idle. No, in America, we have a different way of insulating and isolating ourselves of not caring. We stay busy. We stay distracted. We consume so much entertainment and so much content that it all becomes white noise. But as a result, we insulate and isolate ourselves. We don't have to care. That's not the way of God. Paul is trying to challenge this church to the way of Jesus. And the key challenge is this. And I said it in my own words, so you can just take this and maybe write it down, make a note of it. What I'm really hoping is that I can plant a seed in your heart. Let your love be loud. Notice I didn't say let our love be loud. Why? Because I think it's so easy to kind of like lump it into the category of like, well, the church will care. No, this isn't about the church generically caring. It's about you and I letting our love be loud. You could just say love loudly. But what I don't mean is just be obnoxious and loud. What I mean is let the love that you live express itself in a loud way. That can't be missed. If in order to live a love that is loud, you and I cannot be the source of that kind of love. Why? Because the love that comes out of us is often selfish. It's self-serving. It's self-motivated. Meaning it, we are driven to want to feel good and feel better. And even when we do good, it make, it's because it makes us feel good. It's, it's a it's almost a selfish altruism. I can help others because that makes me feel good. Where does that come from? Why are we driven to stay busy and not care? Because there's something deeply broken inside of us. And as a result of what's broken, it, it poisons love. It infects and affects the way we care. So that we get to the point where we just, I don't care. Or when we do care, it's corrupted by our own selfishness. That's rooted in a spiritual sickness, a spiritual corruption, a, a spiritual brokenness called sin. Sin is separation from God. And every single person who's hearing this, every person alive has been corrupted spiritually by sin so that we're separated from relationship with God so that anything in us that comes out of us, well, frankly, let me say it different. Anything in us is corrupted by sin. Everything that comes out of us is corrupted by sin. So even our best efforts, our best attempts to love and care and be compassionate are corrupted by sin. It's not just that the sin separates us from God, corrupts us in this life, but sets us up for a forever far from God because there's a, there's a consequence, there's a judgment to sin. And that is eternal punishment, an eternal death sentence. But... God, this is the good news. Let, let me jump back into the letter. Paul is writing, and, and again, he's trying to convey a message to a church in hiding that's scared out of their mind, that just wants to keep, keep what they have and not get destroyed in the process. He gives them this challenge. May the Lord make your love increase 
and overflow for each other and everyone else just as ours does for you. He goes, look, we went out of our way to come to you like a mom nursing her children. We cared for you. We loved you. Both in sharing with you good news and in the way we live. Now, we're praying that God's love would increase in you, overflowing toward each other, just as it did from us to you. In essence, our love overflowed from us to you. That love came from God and God's good news. Let me challenge you. The only source of this kind of love has to come from God. Through the good news of the message of Jesus, that God stepped from heaven to earth. Here's the thing. If, if this is all true, then here's the reality. You and I willfully sin. We turn our back on God. We disregard God. We do what we want and we wreck our lives in the process, right? Like that's true. And that's what causes like not just our sin, but sin at work in the world is what's causing corruption and destruction. It's wrecking us, our community, our world, and the universe, God could have turned his back on the whole thing and said, I don't care. But God cared so much. He didn't just care about the world. He didn't just care about the first generation of the church. God cared about you. He cared about you so much that he stepped from heaven to earth. He not only couldn't care less, he cared so much that he put on our skin, our, our, our humanity became one of us, not just to be a good man to teach good things and to teach us about God, but God became one of us to bring us to him. How? He died on the cross for our sins. He took on our eternal death sentence. He absorbed the punishment. That's what causes us shame and guilt. He took on the consequence of sin. In his own death, he took on our eternal death sentence, died in our place. So that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven. God cares for you. God loves you and he lavishes so much care on you that he came to rescue you, to pull you out of certain destruction. We're, we're like the 1,200 Jews that were rescued by Oscar Schindler but God isn't just rescuing a few. He's willing to rescue anyone and everyone who believes in him and who finds their safety in his love. Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead triumphant over death, over sin, and over eternal judgment. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are not only forgiven of your sin, but you are given new and forever life. How? God's spirit which is eternal and invisible, comes and lives inside of your spirit, which is eternal and invisible. When God's spirit is in your spirit, he brings with him the gift of new and forever life. And in that new life, he begins to change us and fill us, right? He, he, uh, he repairs the brokenness so that previously where we were broken, poison could leak in and corrupt us. Now we have we're not just repaired, we are made whole. And then God fills us with his goodness, grace. He fills us with his love so that what fills, spills. Come on, if you've been around Lifehouse at all, you would know that. I, always, I have this 
favorite saying, what fills, spills. If you're new to LifeHouse, man, welcome. If you're joining us online, welcome. We, we are so excited that each of you are at one of our campuses. Let me just say it again, what fills, spills. Paul literally says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. He goes, may it fill you up so much that it just spills out of you. That's what I want for every one of you. A love that spills. Look, if you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I I just pause right now? This isn't about what you can give away. This is about what you can receive. That you can receive forgiveness, new and forever life, the love of God. And so let me just pause and say, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus right now, you're ready to receive forgiveness from God, you're ready to receive the love of God and the new life, the forever life of God, would you just, right now, there's nothing fancy you can do. God wants to give it to you as a gift. The only thing you can do is receive that. So you can just say, God, thank you. I receive your gift of forgiveness and new life through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm giving you my life. And as you're you're saying that, here's what's happening. God's spirit is coming into your spirit right now. This isn't just a a sermon you watch. This isn't just a a church experience that you're having. You are encountering the presence of a living God. God's spirit wants to come in your spirit. If you're making that decision, would you let us know? Fill out one of the, uh, scan the QR code. Let us know. One of our pastors, our campus pastor, wants to follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. Because you're gonna need the encouragement. Now, The Holy Spirit's in you. Many of you, you've believed in Jesus Christ maybe for a week, maybe for many years. But have you gotten into the posture of the church in Thessalonica where you're retreating because it's hard to live in this world? You're you're hiding from what you should be helping. You care less when the Spirit of God wants you to care more. Let's jump back into the the, the text here and see how, how can we live this out? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, really verse 8, where it says this, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I mean, that, how beautiful. Because we loved you, we, we cared about you the way a nursing mom cares for a baby. We cared about you so much that we were delighted to share our life with you and the good news of Jesus Christ. If you jump over to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, again, this is the part where it's kind of toward the end of the the passage. He says this. Now he's going, okay, here's what this looks like. Here's how you live this. Live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Let me give you a challenge. He says, we cared about you so much that we were willing to give you our lives. We lived it in front of you and we shared good news with you. That was the good news I just shared about God coming from heaven to earth, that God didn't, God couldn't care less. God cared so much that he gave his life for us. Paul says, that's how we lived in front of you and now I'm challenging you to live that way. That's right, that we let our love 
be loud because we're following in the way of Jesus. We're loving the way Jesus loves. We're receiving love from God that fills and then spills. If you had to defend what you believe about Jesus, you know what your greatest apologetic would be? Love. Another one of the authors says, they will know us by our love. You could identify whether somebody's a Jesus follower, a Christian or not, by love. Meaning, love does first. And then, he, then love explains. Love is selfless. Love gets involved. Love cares. Love is compassionate. Love is selfless. Love is um, sacrificial. Love is generous. Love sees the needs in others. Love puts on the eyes of God to recognize the needs in the world around them. Love listens. Love is tuned in to hearing the needs, the hurts of others. When When my kids are being dramatic, Does love listen enough to hear through the drama to recognize the need? Love doesn't just see and hear. Love cares and love gets involved. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying at the end of this letter. He goes, I want you to, here's here's what loud love sounds like. You live at peace with each other. You you challenge people who are idle, who are not caring and not involved to get involved. Those that are in conflict and being disruptive to stop it. To, To be kind and caring and compassionate, to be quick to forgive and to deal with conflict quickly so it doesn't cause disunity and chaos in the church and the community. He says, encourage the disheartened. When was the last time your love encouraged the disheartened? When was the last time your loud love helped the weak? And, we're, and have we been patient with everyone? So that we, we, we don't pay back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do good for each other and for anyone and everyone we can. The point is this. Our loud love is active. Your loud love is active. It's the greatest apologetic of the Christian faith. Loud love is not idle. It's not mere words. Now, now let me say something, right? It's not only your behavior. What, What love does is love is loud in the way it lives, compassionately, generously, in service, in caring, and then explains how it's able to live that way by sharing the good news of God's love, right? That's what Paul said. He goes, we cared about you the way a nursing mom cares for an infant. We were willing to live it in front of you. And then he explains that God's love overflowed from us to you. And we shared the gospel of Jesus with you. We we, We gave you the good news because you saw the goodness in our lives. As our love was loud and our love spilled out, our love impacted you and the community around you. And then we were able to explain the good news of God's love to you. Do you know that that's the story of the church? The legacy of the church for 2,000 years, right? From, from these moments when the church first began in this, in a, as almost a, 
you know, a ragtag band of individuals who were considered nobodies in society. Well, some of them were considered nobodies in society, but it grew from an upper room in Jerusalem. It began to spread out across the Roman Empire. As it spread, the love of God became visibly seen through the activity of Christians who made up the church. If you fast forward to the second and third century, plagues, horrible plagues began to spread across the Roman Empire, sometimes wiping out entire villages. Um, 50, 60% of an entire city would, be, would die from these plagues. Christians began to care for the dying, began to nurse back to life those that were sick. No one else could care. Everyone else was scared for their own lives. Pagan priests ran for the hills. Political leaders would escape from the cities. And it was Christians who saw the suffering, brought them into their homes, and started showing care and compassion. You see, like it was a loud love. It turned the tide of the story. People began to take note that it was Christians who cared for people they couldn't care for. It was Christians that were nursing back to life the dying some of the Christians died in place of those that were dying because they got the sickness. It was almost like one biographer said it was like, or a historian said it was like they transferred the sickness from the dying to themselves and died in their place. How is that possible? Because they already had a hope. They knew that this sickness couldn't kill them. They would just go on living. But, but let's not stop there. The church from that point began to transform the Roman Empire so that you could say the Roman Empire became a Christian empire, not because Constantine in 333 uh, said so, but because the church had already spread the good news of Jesus across the known world. If you fast forward to about the 1100s, churches and monasteries became centers of orphanages and refugee care, centers of, as hospitals, right? Because for several hundred years, Christians began to stand up against tyranny. They, they, began to, they, they stood up against the, gladi the gladiator games and, and had them outlawed. They, they stood up against infanticide, against the abuse and mistreatment of women. And as a result, people started realizing Christianity is the answer for all of the ills in society. And then monasteries and churches, as they began to spread, provide medicine and care for the, for the orphan and the widow, for, for those that were sick and dying, for those that were trying to escape tyranny. As you continue, you, you begin to discover that modern science came from Christianity. Modern, um, not just modern science, but medicine and higher education all came from the rise of Christianity from this era. The field of nursing came from Christians. Caring for the disabled came from Christians. You can name every one of their names. Braille, created by a man with the last name Braille, who is a Christian driven to provide a way for those who are blind to be able to read. Like every major field of compassion has its roots in Christian compassion, a loud love. Fast forward, you get to the United States of America. Do you know that 100 of the first 110 universities were started with the express purpose of sharing the good news of God's love with the world around? The, the big Ivy Leagues that you know of, most of them were started to share the good news of God's love. That's right, the, the major um, movements of compassion 
human, the human rights movement, the civil rights movement, women's suffrage movement, all led by Christian leaders. Fast forward to the modern era. Do you know that the movement of global compassion and global relief organizations and relief efforts is driven almost entirely by Christians. To this day, the church, the Christian church is the greatest provider of healthcare and education across the globe. Christians give billions of dollars a year to relief efforts to meet real needs in real ways. It's the message of Jesus, his love in us that spills out of us, that overflows. I wanna be careful here that you don't just think that you're doing good because the church is doing good. You and I, we are the church. So is your love being lived loudly? How can you receive the loud love of God, a God who didn't turn his back and say, I couldn't care less. A God who cared so much that he got intimately and personally involved, whose loud love reverberates 2,000 years later into this moment, into your heart. Is God's love filling you so that what fills spills? In what way can your love get loud? In what way do you need to personally get actively involved in caring for those in your own home, your neighborhood, your community, the nations? How can you become more generous in the church, through the church? How can you serve in the church, through the church? How can you express compassion in the church to your church family and through the church to a world desperately in need? You are the response of God. We're the hope of the gospel, what is in us needs to spill out of us. Now, now let me challenge you and just pray over you. Jesus, we need this. God, we want this kind of love. We know that it doesn't come from in us, it comes from you, the God of all love and the God of all peace. Lord, help us to carry the message of the good news of your love expressed through Jesus then help us to show that to others by living a loud love. May it be active personally. May this message not just be a message of inspiration, but by your spirit, a transformation that occurs in every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.